sure you've heard this before. Blockbuster could have been Netflix. They had everything. They were able to do it, but they didn't have the mindset. You know, in some respects, they weren't unemployable, which is a strange term. But today, my guest and friend, Scott Stewart, is going to explain what he means by that idea. We're going to start there. But I think the big point that I really want to leave you with here is it's really important that we're flexible in our mindsets. And we, when we get comfortable, even when we experience a level of success, if, if we just see this as the only way, the standard operating procedure, the system for what we do within a school or a district, that actually can be a very scary place to find yourself because you lose the curiosity, you lose the innovation, you miss out on the potential and opportunity that's there in front of you. And you might start believing that your you-know-what doesn't stink, and that could be a tough spot to find yourself. We also get into issues of systemic racism, and we talk about his really interesting work that you should check out uh, at the Genius Lab, and that's GeniusLabChicago.com, but everything's linked up for you in the show notes. Hey, it's Daniel, and this is the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those innovative, out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Hey, hey, Ruckus Maker. My friends over at Smart have developed a research-backed tool that will show you not only your strengths and weaknesses, but where you should strategically focus your energy in order to drive better results for your students. This tool is called the EdTech Assessment Tool, and you can take it at smarttech.com forward slash profile. Take the EdTech assessment tool at smarttech.com forward slash profile. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Ruckus Maker, I am excited to introduce you to Scott. Stuart, we go way back. We worked together years ago in Chicago. And these days, Scott L. Stewart is an international business owner. Check out his work at musicpool.com and Genius Lab Incorporated. It's a youth tech educator, a podcast co-host of Money, Sex, Gen X, an author, a book of stewisms, 31 Ways to Improve Your Life. Scott is squarely focused on preparing young people for jobs that don't exist yet, especially in the Black and Latinx communities. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny Bauer, for having me on the show. It is such an honor. Man, I, well, you can see, I mean, we're going to release some of this video too, but I got a big (laughs) smile. I'm happy, so happy to connect with you. In our intro chat, you know, we talked about ownership mindset, and this, this show is for ruckus makers, right? Those that challenge the status quo. They never give up and make change happen in education. I think some of your perspectives on the ownership mindset 
is definitely you causing a ruckus. Let's start there. Absolutely, man. Particularly when you think about how I even got into education. So my background is business. My master's is in, you know, I'm an MBA student with a focus on marketing. And I landed in education as a result of a job layoff back in 2001, right before the Twin Towers disaster, right? And in grad school, I created an after-school program for young people that would teach them how to run their own business. Danny, I knew early on that I was pretty much unemployable. And we can talk about that term, particularly in corporate. I did not see myself at 24 years old working at a one company looking for retirement, working at a company for 30, 40 years, expecting to retire. And I found it difficult to even move up the corporate ladder, you know, in the 90s. I I saw it to be super difficult and I knew something else had to happen. So I got into education with the help of a couple of great people through this uh, business ownership mindset of helping young people think about, listen, If you want to be happy, right, we know you need money, but you should probably follow your passion. And how do you take your passion and make a life out of that? And that caused a lot of ruckus, if you will. So that's that's kind of how we got here, kind of the short game of how I got it. So I've always been a ruckus maker, man. It's been crazy. Yes, you have. You have. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about that being unemployable idea a little bit, too. You know, when I was starting off Better Leaders, Better Schools, that was something I heard a lot on podcasts that you want to be unemployable because you're so fired up by your your vision, your passion, which you touched on, that you can't be a part of another one, right? You got to make your own dreams into reality. So that's that's my take on it a little bit. But, uh, you know, how do you look at this idea of being unemployable? I think it also goes back to thinking about how I not become blockbuster video, right? Uh, Corporations of the old set their standards, their standard operating procedures, and they fall into this, you know, this trap, if you will, of stick to the plan. Like nothing changed. We have a plan, stick to it. Well, you know, to affect change, to be a change agent, you always have to be thinking about, in my mind, how are you innovating? How are you thinking about what's coming next? So a lot of times that's going to challenge what you have on paper, what paper, what you've documented as these are the standard operating procedures, but you need somebody on the team that's going to be looking for ways to innovate and change that. And if you have a closed mindset, which a lot of, you know, old corporate guys tend to have, you miss these opportunities to grasp changing times changing needs of the consumer, changing needs of the marketplace, right? And so being unemployable is the person or the people who, even in, in, a, in a corporate job work environment, being unemployable is the people who are willing to push those envelopes all the time and say, and, and, you know, lift up the rocks, pull the sheets back. Hey, what about this? What about that? And, and to folks who are built for corporate, old school corporate, they that kind of gets under their skin. It's like, we've got a plan. Let's stick to the plan. But you stick to the plan too much, Danny. You'll be out of business. And 
being unemployable for, for me was that, you know, looking at, although you've done this, this business for this way for 30 years, your reason for continuing to do it this way cannot simply be, oh, well, we've always done it this way and it works, you know, then you, you will become outdated if that's your way of kind of keeping with how things are done. And I saw that happening in education as well. I know I kind of jumped ahead to from business to education, but some of our big school districts around the country, even around the world, kind of operate from that mindset. And so being unemployable meant, for me, being willing to push the envelope to such a degree that leadership is the only path because you're blazing, I'm, I'm blazing, and folks like you are charting new courses. We're blazing new tra- uh, uh, trails in places that have never been thought of before in spaces that don't normally have people that are, that are willing to push those envelopes. That's what being un- unemployable was to me. I'm, I'm the guy that's going to come into meetings and say, hey, what about this? Let's and and for some for some leaders, it's really disruptive. It it causes a lot of ruckus, man. And that's that's a good thing because you grow that way. You know, you mentioned Blockbuster. That's a great example. But we have Kodak. You know, what happened to them? They yeah, were positioned. Yeah, they were yeah. positioned to to continue to dominate there, but they decided. You know what? This digital thing's not going to take off. Or uh, did you have a BlackBerry back in the day, by any chance? I, I I did not have a BlackBerry, but BlackBerry's still holding on. Okay. So there, there are a couple. So, so, so I didn't use Kodak specifically for Kodak. Didn't become Blockbuster. Like Blockbuster's gone. It's gone, right? Kodak is actually still in play. Still in play. So they are. They what they did was at the last minute, at the eleventh hour, they got it. It was like, okay, wait, let's okay, okay, let's get on. We'll, we'll, we'll let disposable cameras go, but we'll let's let's find our niche, which is the BlackBerry people. Professional photographers. Yeah, yeah professional. That's right. That's right. So we're not going to go away. Blockbuster just dropped the ball. Blockbuster could have been Netflix. And they just totally dropped the ball because of their, not inability, unwillingness to embrace the unforeseen, which is, you know, people will be watching movies from, Devices, yeah. They're mobile devices, you know. They didn't think that was going to be a thing. They didn't want to bet on it. Well, if they'd have bet it, you know, a portion of their revenue on it. Design thinking, testing testing it out, yeah. They'd still be in business today. But they refused to do that, which, you know, I don't know how much of pride or ego got in the way of leadership to prevent that. Right. And so when we think about even now, now let's switch it to talking about education. We have a lot of that in place today where there are a lot of, and I'm very, very critical of educational leaders, right? Again, causing some ruckus, right? Um, forcing folks to think about innovation and change in this space of education. You know, there are a lot of people who are so controlling in leadership of education you know, to the point where I see it with my own children who are doing virtual schooling. Turn your cameras on. You have to ask to go to the bathroom. Listen, ma'am, I'm at home. I, you know, if I, <laughs> you know, we see some school districts that are requiring dress codes. Now, I get you, you don't you don't want people on their topless, but 
hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> I saw on Facebook people asked about how they're doing online detentions. I'm like, why are we even having this discussion? Absolutely. So some of that is pride and ego. You know, some of that is, you know, the, the way of the old. They're so caught up in how things used to be, the unwillingness to accept how things are, and more importantly, how things will be moving forward, you know? And so I do, I do some online teaching, and there may be 20% of the students that have their cameras on, that can see them. There may be 80% of the students that don't. Does that mean that they're not learning? Does that mean they're not engaged? Absolutely not. It just means that whatever I'm teaching better be so engaging that makes them want to chime in. Otherwise, they're multitasking. <laughs> that's, that's it. That is the question to ask yourself as a leader and as an educator. Like, now that the classroom and my physical presence is removed, where I could sort of impose my will that you have to be in class and can't leave and do the things I'm asking you to do. No, the right question is, how do I design stuff for these kids that I serve, right, in this community that I love and serve? How do I design in such a way that it's so engaging that kids want to be there, right? You're talking about attendance. You're talking about tardies. You create something that's so good kids are running to your class because teachers do that. That's the question to ask. Not what do we do with these kids and then all, you know, all the reasons and myths and just bogus stuff out there about why they're not coming to, to class. So, yeah, we could do a whole show on that. <laughs> and even to that point, so you think about it, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of chatter on Twitter. I follow a lot of teachers around the country specifically. And for whatever reason, it seems like the teachers that show up on my Twitter timeline, they, they do a lot of complaining, right? Again, I am pro-teacher, uh, but I am, I am I'm very critical of our public education system, right? Uh, primary, secondary uh, levels. But my question is, and, and this is super controversial, in Chicago, what do they say? The numbers are like 7,000 students are lost, right? That haven't, about 7,000 students have not logged on for school this year, and they're trying to find them. For me, it's like, listen, don't worry about those kids, right? And, and then this, will, this will circle back and make sense when we get further in this conversation. Don't worry about those kids. They were coming to school only because they had to in the first place. What we really want to focus on, and this is where the, the, the greatest work is, you got X amount of students that are showing up. You know, to your point, how are you going to keep those young people engaged? Because those are the students that are saying, I want to be here. I can easily find a reason to say that my technology isn't working and I can't be in school, but I'm coming every day. I want to be here. What are you going to give me? Now we're starting to answer the question. What are you going to give me that's going to help me today? And that for me, I think is that real answer. What are you giving me, Mr. Teacher, Ms. Teacher, that is going to help me today? And that's that's where the engagement, at least for me, starts. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's a question of time and resources and, and where you put those things as well. Because, you know, listen, uh, when I'm writing about this in, in my book and talking about when you think about a coach, right, for a principal, what kind of principal comes to mind? And most likely, I think the, the general uh, 
assumption there is if a principal has a coach that they're probably on a professional improvement plan as well, you know, and that the district has provided some sort of mentor there because uh, this is the last ditch effort before they ask them, you know, that leader to exit. But it's almost like the 7,000 kids. It's not that you ignore them completely, right? But it's just taking your awareness and your focus. Who is showing up, you know? And how can we push them further? And, and that's one part of the equation. Then there's this other part, right, that we got to figure out. But what are we doing for them today, you know? And it's interesting. And in, in, in preparation, I just want to add this last thing, too. Uh, getting ready for the book, which is about my leadership community and all this stuff. There was a study done in Texas of all principals from 95 to 2008. It's a lot of principals. Big state there, right? Sometimes, uh, you know, who knows? They could be their own nation or something like that. And, and anyways, uh, they found in the study that 90% of principals that left, they didn't leave the school for another school. They left the profession entirely. And there's a, multiple reasons, right? The stress, the, the ridiculous um, expectations at times, the hours, you know, there's so much there. We'll get into systemic racism, I'm sure, during this conversation too. And then um, just the fact that, hey, if, if they're not the lowest performer, but the job is hard and they could use somebody to, you know, level up their skills or just pour into them, take care of them a bit too, there's, that help doesn't exist, right? Or at least that's how those principles felt. So they leave and they don't come back. And so it's, it's, even, it's even exposing that it doesn't even matter how much money you pay them if they're not getting the support to improve and the encouragement and the professional development, how much money you pay them is not enough to keep them. It's got to be more than that. Yeah, yeah. They got to be, you know, there's a quote I love from Viktor Frankl who wrote uh, Man's Search for Meaning, but he said that uh, man's pushed by his drives. So that principle may have gotten to that, that point because they're driven like you and me, right? Have a bigger vision, mission, all that kind of stuff. But what gets them through the hard part, Franklin says, but he's pulled by his values, right? And so it's, it's the bigger why, right? It's the community, it's the relationships, it's the impact that you want to make. That's what gets you through the tough stuff. And uh, it's easy to lead when things are going good, you know? But when, when it hits the fan and things get tough, that's like, okay, what am I all about? And what is my current reality? And if I'm not, if I'm not feeling with what's happening right now, I'm out. And that's what principles say. And then, and, and then even going back to the, like, the way of the old, which is very um, punitive, right? That top-down leadership of, of, of control, where if you're not doing it my way or the way that's written in the books, then you're not worthy of being in this space. You're not deserving. You'll be fired. And a lot of people, you know, I would imagine, don't want to experience being fired. So let me jump ship before it even happens, Right. And I'm sure that plays a part in it. It's like, I see this coming. I've seen this played out in the past. Let me get out now before I'm em- embarrassed, you know, by being fired from something that I truly, truly care about. And um, yeah, that, that causes a sense of trauma. Let me just get out, I would imagine. I'd love to see that study too. Yeah, I'll send it to you after the conversation. Yeah, that's dope. Thanks. Well, Scott, I'm enjoying this conversation. Uh, We're going to pause here, you know, for a moment for a message from our sponsors. But when we get back, uh, a couple things, you know, I'd love to talk about definitely would be systemic racism, profit versus nonprofit, and uh, the work of Genius Lab. 
Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Grow your professional network with a global cohort of fellow school leaders as you collaborate in case studies, bridging the fields of education and business. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Smart has an incredible research-backed tool that allows you as a leader to self-assess your capabilities at the school level or broader to help you with planning and prioritizing. Discover your strengths and best area of focus across five different modules, including leadership and remote learning. The tool inspires collaboration with your colleagues and provides massive value whether you complete one or all five of the modules. You'll get a personalized report that shows where you stack up against other ruckus makers and map some areas of focus that will have the greatest impact for you. Take 10 minutes and get started with this EdTech assessment tool today. I suggest beginning with the strategic leadership module. Check it out at smarttech.com forward slash profile. That's smarttech.com forward slash profile. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Scott Stewart, international business owner and uh, founder of Genius Lab. Before we get to that, because it's a very interesting project ruckus makers need to, to know about, uh, let's talk a bit about systemic racism and, and, you know, murder after murder. You know, George Floyd really caused a stir within society and people, it seemed that they woke up a bit. But waking up, right, and firing off some tweets, like you mentioned, that's one thing. Actually doing something about the problem is another. So any thoughts you want to share with the ruckus maker regarding systemic racism as it relates to education and leadership? Yeah, so interestingly enough, if you know, if any of the ruckus makers know anything about the south side of Chicago, so I'm born and raised in the Roseland community, Technically, I'm born and raised in Washington Heights community on the south side of Chicago, which is just west of Roseland, but west of Roseland by two blocks. And so a lot of my youth was spent in Roseland. I will admit that I was privileged enough to go to a private elementary school from first through eighth grade. I went to Roseland Christian School in the heart of the, the poverty of of the Rosen community, my parents bought in Washington Heights at the height of white flight. So my parents, direct recipients, direct beneficiaries of the civil rights movement. My dad was one of the first black uh, Chicago police officers hired by the the force. My mom was an educator at, at Malcolm X College for a number of years. Both of my parents are graduates from Chicago's Teachers College, which later became Chicago State University. You know, so diehard Southsiders. You know. But me going to this Christian school, which was taught by, you know, 
all white, basically, you know, Presbyterians who they, they, they ruled literally with a paddle, a literal paddle. And the name, by the time we started getting the paddle in fourth or fifth grade, the paddle that you feared the most was the Black Mariah. You did not want, and I didn't know, what did I know about systemic racism back in these days, right? I mean, you didn't see a lot of Black folks on television. This is before the 80s. This is before the Cosby show. We had Fat Albert, you know, the Cosby Kids cartoon, you know, but you didn't see. What I later realized in life that a lot of my education clearly, clearly, clearly was whitewashed. Super, super whitewashed. Any thoughts of, like, we didn't celebrate, uh, there was no celebration of, there was no Black history celebration in grammar school. There was no, uh, there were no talks about the contributions of the, the Black people. There was no realistic conversations about rape, slavery, you know. There was talk about the Holocaust, which is a tragic event in this world that, uh, you know, nobody should ever endure. And I, I do not condone that. And my heart goes out to all the survivors, victims and survivors of the Holocaust. At the same time, there was no conversation about uh, slavery or the, the plight of Black folks. We were seen as the problem. The issue for me, Danny, is for so many years, up until May of 2020, in this country, my experience has been when I brought up the conversation about racism with white, white, white America, the response was generally downplayed, like it didn't exist. Like I was making something up, like I was talking about Bigfoot or something. And, you know, Trayvon Martin and, it's, and it's so Mike Brown and Emmett Till, come on, let's go back to Emmett Till, right? All of these catastrophes, these murders were always downplayed to the point where I've gotten pretty numb. I had gotten pretty numb to, you know, murders of Black folks in America. Sandra Bland, just really numb. It's like, oh, it happened again. For me, let's talk about the systemic racism. The issue for me with George Floyd, it, again, I'm numb to the murders, right? So it's not that another Black man is being murdered. That's hard enough. I'm already callous to that. The issue of systemic racism was the, how cavalier the pose of this police officer is. And you're starting to hear people talk about that conversation now. That's what brought me to tears when I first saw the, the footage, is his nonchalantness of, I don't know if it can be colorful on him, but it was like, F you, everybody. And... What are you going to do about it? And that's how, that's how I felt about systemic racism. It's like, we run this, this position that I'm in with my knee on this guy's neck, with my hands in my pocket, is me saying to you, showing you on camera, I know I'm being filmed, I don't care about your life. My partner doesn't care. And people who dress like me to go to work every day we don't care. Other people that look like me, we don't, it, it was just so hard. I cried. I have never cried over much of anything in my life, Dad. I cried. I cried because the 
burden of proof of systemic racism was smacking me in the face in 2020, right? Um, I don't know how you get around it, but let me tell you my coping mechanism for it over the years was to stop asking white America for anything, right? Redlining, you know, you know you're going to get the worst rates on the home loan. You know you're going to get the worst rates for a car loan. You know you're going to, you just expect the worst of the worst. We got to stop asking. And so, and stop asking, you know, sometimes it looks like you still live in poverty. Like, I literally still live, I'm in West Pullman, which is right near Roseland. It's not like I'm in some mansion and I've escaped the ills of the hood, if you will, because I've chosen to stop asking white America for anything, then I deal with what I have to deal with, which is what's available to me in my community and what I can muster up myself. And that is a result of systemic racism. Until the playing field is completely level, where I get the same rate as, you know, a guy with my same education level, um, same professional level who is white, until I get the exact same deal that this guy gets, I'll never feel that racism has been clearly eradicated, fully eradicated from the fabric of our nation. For me, systemic racism unfortunately, is in the fabric of our nation, you know. And so now I'm trying to figure out how do we move forward now that most of Americans, many of Americans, at least admit that racism is real. Because I I grew up in a space where they weren't even admitting it. And so... And it's not convenient, huh, to talk about uh, how you, your family, you know, may have profited off of uh, racist and inhumane policies, right? And I mean, I'll never, I'll never forget. So my my wife um, is from Zimbabwe, right? So back in the day, it was it was her people, the Shana people, right? And um, uh, there's a number of nations that were, were colonialists, imperialists, right? And uh, you know, Britain found its way down to Zimbabwe, and and. We unpack some of that now, right? Her love for tea and biscuits and th- these kind of things. It's a, it's interesting to navigate because it's so part of your your DNA, but it was brought by the oppressors, you know? So what do you do with it? Can you still like tea? Can you like a cookie? Like, what do you do? Um, but, but what I, you know, I never would forget was, uh, so we're at, a, we're at a cocktail party actually from my faculty and one of the faculty members, her partner, at first was pretty excited to meet uh, somebody else from Zimbabwe. He was actually a Brit, but had family and farms, right? Farms in Zimbabwe. And so they're talking about all the good times and all this kind of stuff, which is nice. You know, there's a lot of great stuff about Zimbabwe. But the conversation got uncomfortable when we challenged the idea of how hard he had it and his family had it in Zimbabwe. Now, it's not that he didn't have it hard. You know, I don't, I don't wish pain and violence and human suffering on anybody, right? Period. But he was telling the sob story of losing his farms and how unfair it was. Buddy, where'd you get the farm? <laughs> and how much, how much did you pay? Oh, wait, you took it? 
And now you want me to empathize and, and you should, I think, I think you should empathize, but let's, let's zoom out. Let's see the bigger picture. So, you know, that's just a personal story. And I appreciate you um, taking us on a very emotional journey uh, from growing up in Chicago and what you've seen and how your mind's been calloused and that, but I'd like to encourage or challenge the ruckus maker listening at this point too, because I'm hoping that they're acknowledging that they're seeing, they're noting the injustice, the inequity. So what, what, what are some steps that they might take as a leader of a building where you said, you know, the nation is baked into the fabric. Well, that, that school system came from that fabric. What do we do? One of the first things, and I don't have, I don't have the answers. I really don't. Right. But here's one, one antidote that I want to leave with the ruckus makers. So I know some people get really emotional about seeing anything that says black lives matter. Right. I actually don't even say it. I don't have to say it because I'm black. So I don't care. Look, if I was blue, green, yellow, because I am who I am, my life matters. But I'm black. So, yep, black lives matter. If you're white, yep, white lives matter. Okay, I get it. What I want want the ruckus makers to take away, if any of them get uncomfortable with hearing or seeing uh, someone use that term, black lives matter, I just want you to think about When you hear people talk about save the whales, they're not saying no other fish matter. It's just like save the whales. Yes, save the whales. You can say save the seals. You can say save the puffer fish. Just admit that whales need to be saved. Just admit that, yes, Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. That's all. Start there. Admit that, yes. Black lives do matter. You don't have to re- rebut with, oh, well, Asian lives But let me tell you, your whole statement is negated if you will not admit that Black lives matter. They do. They do. And until you are comfortable in your skin saying, you know what? Black lives do matter. Then we can move. But if you're not comfortable, if you still are uncomfortable with, or you get in your feelings because you see somebody has a sign is, oh, why they got to, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. And that's, that for me, Danny, that's where some people need to start. I, I saw, a, uh, I read an article where a teacher in Texas was reprimanded because her virtual background said Black Lives Matter. She like lost her job. Come on, dude. Come on, man. Yeah. I taught down in Unit 4, Champaign-Urbana, and I saw that uh, the Unit 4 district, it's a, very, it's a very diverse district, so they were playing to the affluent whites there, but there were some schools that said Black Lives Matter signs facing outside of the windows, just saying we care about our kids that are black and brown. That's all. And uh, they said, take, take the signs down or, you know, you'll be reprimanded, maybe lose. But, you know, those are the negative stories. I've seen stories, too, of uh, districts where, Teachers have done things that are ill-advised and insensitive that would, um, you know, uh, hurt, hurt that message or, or take away, right? Well, what about the puffer fish, you know? And so they were putting that out there. And um, those, those teachers actually got reprimanded. So, you know, I think it, it happens both ways. But the acknowledgement, get your head out of the sand. And, I, and that's good. You know, I'm glad that we actually didn't say do X, Y, and Z because it can get your head out of the sand, acknowledge, stay curious. Ask questions, you know, learn from, learn from others, find out how you can serve. 
I like that you said stay curious and ask questions. That's super, that's super powerful. And I just read something yesterday because uh, I'm, I'm in this space of mental healing, like uh, a dealing, dealing with mental illness and, and dealing with uh, healing from traumas of uh, childhood traumas, traumas of the past. And one of the biggest issues is people not admitting that they were at least hurt. You know, that's one way to cover up your pain is to you try to, uh, you know, deny that the pain even exists. And so to your point, to my point earlier, it's just like admit that it's, it's even an issue. Let's start there. If we can admit that it's an issue, then at least you may be open to figuring out how we can uh, positively and gracefully move forward from here. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. Well, before we get to the last two questions, I ask everybody, let's talk about Genius Lab and the work of the Genius Lab and why it's uh, also, you know, in, within there, let's embed the idea of profit versus nonprofit, because I think it actually can, yeah. continues the systemic racism discussion a little bit as well. Yeah, people always assume that Genius Lab Incorporated, and I, I don't even like using the incorporated, <laughs> but Genius Lab is a, is a nonprofit uh, entity. So let me be very, very clear to all you ruckus makers and anybody else that's listening. Genius Lab is a for-profit business, very intentional as a black man who has six children. It's super, super important to me that I demonstrate ownership. Like my journey, my life is about breaking economic deficiency, not just in my community, but in my own family. Right. I'm leading that charge as the patriarch of my family. I recognize my position in my family. So ownership, you know, you own a business, you own some real estate. I live by this philosophy right now that poor people can't help other poor people be prosperous. There's nothing in it for me to try to help poor people not be poor if I'm poor with them. And so it's super important that my company, Genius Lab, was established as a for-profit. And I'm teaching my son and my daughters, first of all, that they're next in line should I no longer be available to run the organization, the company. And here's how you do it. I want to leave them a blueprint. So that's super, super important. Now, uh, am I philanthropic by nature? Absolutely. I, I just donated you know, 25 bucks to an organization yesterday. And it's like 25 bucks. Well, listen, <laughs> the point is I'm donating to nonprofits all the time. I'm the, I'm a vice president for Chicago Youth Programs, which is a nonprofit. I've served on the board for Streetwise, which is a nonprofit that serves to eradicate homelessness uh, in Chicago. So I'm still philanthropic in my endeavors and many of my endeavors. But as far as when it comes to my family and my community, family first and community, business ownership is super important to me. So profit, learning how to profit and sustain yourself generationally over profit is super, super important. And that's actually exactly what we're doing at Genius Lab, Danny. We're focused on helping young people, particularly Black and Latinx, because that's what's in my community, reimagine themselves. Thus, the name genius. How often do you hear, how often do my students hear themselves referred uh, to themselves in a positive light, right? You have genius in you. One of the first things I 
the first lessons at Genius Lab is we remind students that humans build computers, that computers are not smarter than humans. Humans are smarter than computers. And so we refer to them as our young geniuses. And that right there just helps to instill a sense of confidence, educational confidence. And we will help them remind them, we help to instill in these young people that they have the capacity to learn anything that they want to learn, even if it's math or science or technology or engineering, right? And so that's the core of our work is helping young people, particularly black and brown, but helping all young people who don't normally hear themselves referred to themselves as geniuses or smart or intelligent, that first of all, you have genius in you and let's have some fun identifying what it is that you're interested in. Let's help you understand the relationship between business, profit, and technology, the wave of the future, and how you can create whatever lifestyle you desire for yourself with these focus areas. So that's, I hope that answers your question. It does, and it has me uh, fired up. I wish I had kids of my own to put in your program one day, one day. But uh, tell me, you know, and tell the Ruckus Maker listening, where can they find out more about your work in, in the Genius Lab if they'd like to get connected? Absolutely. Absolutely. Please feel free to go to GeniusLabChicago.com. Just Genius Lab, no no funky spellings, GeniusLabChicago.com. Also, please feel free to just Google my name, Scott L, as in Larry, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-D. Just Google my name and I'm all over Google. I'm all over the internet. But if you want to learn more about specifically what we do at Genius Lab, go to GeniusLabChicago.com. Great. And we'll, we'll link that up for folks in the show notes and uh, get some social handles in there well so they can connect with you. All right. Well, Scott, I love asking all my guests these last two questions. Can't wait to hear how you answer them. Uh, if you can put a message on all school marquees around the world just for one day, what would you put on that marquee? All right. Here we go. So <laughs> thought about this a little bit. It's kind of fun. School is not for everyone, but everyone needs to learn. Choose your teacher wisely. It's good. That is good. And you're building your school from a ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school? What would be your top three priorities? Yep. So actually, I'm building my dream school right now, Danny, um, looking to raise $50 million for 300,000 square feet of space. This dream school would be a maker space. Uh, it would have multiple distance learning rooms, meeting rooms, 3D printers. There would be laser cutters, wood cutters. It'd be a place for innovators. It'd be a place where students can come and be introduced to technology and introduced to business classes. I would change the curriculum up a little bit. And I'm looking to my left because I, I'm, I'm, I have a wall where this is written. And so our focus would be health and wellness. We have five curriculum areas, health and wellness, home economics, financial literacy, business and technology, uh, we would do some wraparound programs for other subject matter like geography or social studies. But we believe that social studies could be wrapped into the financial literacy and microeconomics. But it would be a place where people would come 
to be innovative, to think about technologies, business, and engineering ideas, bringing ideas to life. I don't have a name for it yet, but it, it might simply just be Genius Labs with an S as opposed to Genius Lab, which is the name of my company. But it would be a place where young people can come and test out new technologies, learn business, learn technology, and build. Scott, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the many things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Very interesting. The one thing that I want all ruckus makers to remember is that you all play a role in how we guide this next generation of learners. And number one, you are preparing these young people for jobs that don't even exist yet. So keep that in mind. Don't stay in the box. There is no box. So remember that. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.